Well, hey, church, it's good to be together today. Uh, Welcome everyone who's here. Welcome everyone online. Uh, It's just great to be coming together. And and this morning, we're continuing our study in the book of Hebrews. We're picking up in the fourth chapter of 13 chapters. So we're about a third of the way through this book of Hebrews. And this book of Hebrews was written to new Jewish Christians. It was written to new Jewish believers in the faith And the reason why it was written is because these new believers had stepped out of their religion, Judaism, and they were going through social and physical persecution from their fellow Jews. Those that had rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah were were persecuting those in the church who had received him as Messiah. And... And they're beginning to start to waver in their faith and they're beginning to start to think, maybe I should turn back. And the author of Hebrews is trying to write this letter of encouragement to them and this warning to them to saying, don't give up on what you started. It's so much better to keep going and what you're gonna receive in Jesus Christ than to turn back now in your faith. Now, I'm not Jewish and uh, I'm not a new believer. I've been a believer for a while now, but as we've been going through the message of Hebrews, that Jesus is better. I've found myself connecting and receiving the words that the author has been saying to us. Uh, He's been talking about how Jesus is better than other supernatural beings. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than great leaders. Jesus was greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Churchill. Jesus is greater than Abraham Lincoln. Uh, He didn't mention all those, he just mentioned Moses. But Jesus is better than every great leader there's ever been. He says, Jesus is greater than the church itself. Jesus is greater than our religion. Jesus Jesus is greater than our works. And this is where it starts to to hit me. Jesus is greater than my obedience. Jesus is greater than the good things that I do. Jesus is also greater than anything in this world that makes me happy. Jesus is greater than all of it. Following him is hard. And that church was going through persecution and he doesn't say it's gonna go away, but it's worth it. So I wanna ask you guys at home, you guys here this morning, I wanna take a brief church survey and I wanna ask all of us this morning, uh, how many of you guys have ever gone through difficult times since you received Christ? You've ever gone through difficult circumstances? Let me put it this way. You know here in your head that Jesus is better but in your circumstances out here, it's been hard to believe it. Just a show of hands. How many of you guys have ever gone through that struggle? Almost every single hand has gone up. And if not, then God's just gonna bless you more difficulties ahead. So you should probably put your hand up, okay? Just raise your hand now, because God is probably gonna put you, I don't even know what I'm saying. Okay, let me take that part back. I hope not. But all of us living in a broken world, we go through this reality of the disconnect between what we experience in this world And what we believe and we know about Jesus Christ, because this place is broken. It doesn't reflect only God's beauty. It also reflects the cracks and the brokenness. So me too. I've gone through that as well. And I don't think I've ever wanted to completely quit in my faith. But I have gone through moments of discouragement. And I have gone through days and moments where I've outright quit. And this letter, and particularly this chapter, is a message to say, Don't quit, don't stop, don't even stop, not for the long journey, don't even stop for a day, don't even stop for a moment. Keep Jesus first every day, 
all day, put him first in your life. And so we're gonna be seeing that. We're gonna go through chapter four. And as we go through, the way I wanna go through this chapter is uh, to make it simple to follow along. I'm gonna summarize a few verses at a time. I'm gonna give you a point and I'm gonna summarize a few verses at a time. And then we're gonna read those verses and see how, what they're saying and how they're emphasizing that point. And a few things I want us to understand before we jump in is one thing that's super important with the Bible in general, and especially with this book, is that every verse builds upon the last verse. And so this, what we're reading today, remember, it's like watching like a 15 second scene from a movie and saying you understand the whole movie. And in particular, this chapter is gonna to pull together scriptures from the entire Bible. And so as believers, we need to keep reading the whole scripture. We need to read through the whole book of Hebrews so we understand this message in context and really get what he's trying to say. And this, this chapter and this book in general is one of the most misinterpreted and mistaught books in the Bible. And I think a big reason for that is because people don't pull together all the teaching of scripture. They just look at this one sliver and misunderstand what it's saying. I wanna give you the Cliff Notes version because in class, I always loved getting the Cliff Notes. I was a Cliff Notes student, don't judge me, okay? Uh, when we were reading, I won't even go there. I won't tell you about my, my childhood, but let's just say I always loved getting to the finish line quickly, right? Some of you guys are like me. What's the shortest amount I can read and get the answer, right? So in short, this chapter is, is saying that God wants to offer us rest. And the way that we can enter into that rest is by trust and obedience, simple. That's what it's saying, that God wants to give us peace. And the way to get that peace is by trusting him and obeying him. And just a devotional reading, a casual reading of, the, of Hebrews chapter four, we would come away with that. But as we dive into it, we're gonna see that God is actually, through this author, painting a picture to pull all the scriptures together to help us understand. Even we were talking about a few weeks ago, we were talking about the end times and the millennial reign and Christ's return. He's pulling together uh, the story of scripture and showing us just how deep and how amazing and how awesome our rest is gonna be in heaven one day with God forever. And uh, one more thing that's really important to understand is this term rest, he's gonna be using it many different ways as he's talking about rest. And so four of the things that he's talking about are land rest, salvation, Sabbath, and eternal rest. See, God had offered his people, the Israelites, rest in the land if they obeyed him and went into the promised land, peace from natural disasters and peace from wars and things like that. And then God offers us rest from our sins, from our brokenness through salvation. God, and, and the continuing working out of that salvation called sanctification, where daily we become more and more like Christ. God also offers us weekly Sabbath rest, these moments where we celebrate our salvation and we pause and celebrate all that God did through us in that last week and we remember who God is, which is, it's, a, it's the link in between our salvation and eternity. These weekly Sabbaths are, are supposed to be a moment we remember what God's done in us, his salvation, but we look forward to one day when we will be completely without sin, completely without brokenness. And what we're gonna see is the Bible tells us that if we're faithful, if we depend upon Christ and we obey him, in the end, he's gonna reward us. The Bible says that some of us believed in Christ, but we, we don't really pursue him. And we're gonna be as those that barely escape through the flames. We're in heaven, but we don't have much to show for it. But those of us that say, God, you're the priority in my life. You're all that I want. And if we 
submit ourselves to Christ and are faithful to him that one day we're gonna sit before him and we're gonna delight in everything that he did through us. And he's gonna remind us of that, that, that well done, that we fulfilled our purpose. And so that's just a big picture of where we're going uh, in this passage. And so I wanna invite you guys to turn with me to Hebrews chapter four. And as we do that, before we open our Bibles, uh, towards your back of the Bible, by the way, as we do that, uh, would you just pray with me that God would speak to us today? Jesus, we just thank you for these words that you've given us. We thank you for this book that teaches us right from wrong and that explains to us all of who you are. Father, I pray today that you would open our hearts to any areas we may be discouraged. And I pray, Lord, that as we just read this letter, that you would lift us up physically, emotionally, spiritually, that you will lift us up through the power of Christ to desire to be loving and faithful through your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name, amen. All right, so the first thing that we're gonna see in these first couple verses is that rest is available to us through belief. God's rest is accessible through belief. That is the means to which we enter into God's rest. Hebrews 4, verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. He tells us the promise of rest still stands. The promise of rest still stands. Now, maybe we'll misinterpret this verse talking about not reaching it to say that it's talking about salvation exclusively, that if we're unfaithful, that we're not going to be in heaven with God, which which is not what it's saying. One, one reason we know that is because who's he writing this to? He's writing this to fellow Hebrew believers who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And the second reason we know that it's not talking about salvation exclusively is because the Bible tells us throughout the scriptures, Ephesians 1 being one chapter, that all believers, if they believe in Jesus Christ, cannot lose their salvation, that all believers, not based on our own merit, will be in heaven because of what Jesus has done for us and our receiving of that. So he's not talking about salvation, but he is warning them not to miss out on the peace, on the joy, on the inheritance, on the love that God wants to give them as Christians. Now remember that they're turning back and he's thinking to the end. Imagine if you lived your life denying your purpose, denying your identity, and you stand before your maker one day, you're gonna feel regret. I wasted my life. And he's saying, you don't want that feeling is what he's telling them. In verse one, he's saying to them that we should fear this. We should fear not fulfilling our purpose, not just out of caution, that we should have this caution, but that we should have the emotions that, coming, that come from realizing the awesomeness of who God is. As this Christians, when we get discouraged, like this group was because of all the persecution that was coming their way, that we should adjust our attitude from our current circumstances and reflect reverently on the gravity, gravity of being out of step with God's will, being out of step with your maker, to value something else more than the one who made you is the fear that he's talking about. Let's read verse two. For the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. 
Them was the Exodus generation. We read this last week in Hebrews 3.8. And Hebrews 3.8 said they shouldn't harden their hearts as they did in the wilderness. And he's saying that they didn't join in with those who really believed. That faith is not just reading God's word. Faith is not just hearing God's word. Faith is receiving God's word. It's depending upon God's word. It's trusting in God's word. And he's saying they missed out on God's blessings because they didn't, they didn't believe it. They didn't put it into their hearts. They didn't act upon it. Verse three, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. We who have believed. Who is it that enters rest? Those that have believed. So where does rest come from? It comes from belief. Second thing that we're going to see here is that God's rest has been established since creation. Let's continue to, to read on here in verse 4. For he who has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works, and again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. See, the rest that God wanted to give them has existed since creation. It's the, it's the rest that God enjoyed when he perfectly made the world. In six days, he perfectly made the world. Then he stepped back and he celebrated and he admired his love for us, for creation, for everything that he had done. Which side note, it blows my mind thinking about this this week that God perfectly made this world in six days. I've been working on my, my house, landscaping and things for at least six months of COVID, right? And I got bricks all over the place and plants all over the place. And it's like a never ending project. And I just started thinking about that. I'm like, God perfectly made the world in six days. That is mind blowing. But he, he did, he perfectly made it. And then he stepped back and he celebrated all that he did. He rested from his work. He took delight in it. Uh, I'm so grateful for so many pastors that have explained Hebrews to me, but none more so than, than one of my mentors and my teachers in seminary, Larry Waters. And I remember two years ago, just a few months actually before he passed to be with the Lord, I was able to be in Atlanta with him and, and together with a group of classmates, we just sat and he, he taught us what this book meant. And, and what stood out to me as he was teaching us, more so than the words he was saying, is he reflected on his life and he told us stories from his life. You could just see that this man revered God. He revered God. And I picked up things from him just by being around him. And, and, and I, when he passed, it, it touched my heart. And I imagined he's got to just be resting with God right now, so joyous of being able to live his purpose as a missionary to the Philippines and then as a Bible teacher and now just with his father in heaven. That's a picture of what this is. It's finishing our work well. Other passages in the Bible talk about the idea of a weekly Sabbath, the same as God did, but not for him, for us, so we would remember our salvation. You see, weekly Sabbath is a celebration of our salvation, and it's a taste of eternity. Sabbath is, every week, if we take a moment, if we take a day to pause, it gives us the opportunity to look back and remember how God saved us from where we were, and he's working on us. And if there's anything that's out of alignment with that, to get in alignment with God again before this new week. And, and hopefully it's a pause that God wants us to have, or we're not focused on all the work and the problems in our life, but we're just remembering him. And it helps us to look forward to one day 
where all of that work, all of that striving, that future orientation, that future rest, this rest he's talking about is not just here and now and taking a nap. It's the future rewards and peace that we're gonna have if we have a heavenly mindset and not just a worldly mindset and to look forward to that one day. And that's what Sabbath rest is. And that's the rest that God established since creation and the rest that he wants us to have, the joy and the peace in doing what he's made us to do. And so God's rest has been available since creation. The next thing we're gonna see here is that that rest is still available today. That rest is available to us. Verse six says, since therefore remains for some to enter it and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today saying through David so long afterward and the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. So then remember a Sabbath rest remains. Sorry, I got the word remains in there backwards. Remember, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. He's connecting all the generations, the Exodus generation to the Joshua generation, to the David generation, to that generation of Hebrews that he's writing that letter, to this generation today. And he's reminding them that Exodus generation, they didn't get to enjoy the peace in the land that God wanted for them because they didn't put into practice, they didn't trust God in the things that he was saying to them. And even the Joshua generation that did in many ways, in many ways, they did receive God's blessings and they experienced a taste of heaven here on earth because they obeyed him and they trusted him. Even some in that generation rejected God and they had problems and wars in their land because of it. And so he's connecting all these things together and saying that today, there is a place of rest that remains for us. He's saying that it wasn't complete. The rest that God wants to give us, it wasn't completed in the promised land. That the real rest can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And it will only be found one day when we're done this life and we're with Jesus in heaven, when he comes back in his second coming. That's what we long for, we look forward to as Christians. And so he's saying that rest is available to us today. Now, the next thing we're gonna see here, and this is really get to the heart of the passage. He gives them a warning. He pauses and he warns them and he says, dedicate yourself completely to trusting God. Wholeheartedly, completely be dedicated unto God. Verse 10 says, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Notice the tense, rested. Past tense, entered. It's the idea of completion. Remember, he's looking forward to their faithfulness for their whole life, saying you wanna do the task that God's given to you well through his spirit. And he's pointing them to the future rest that God wants to give them. Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort. Oh, hey, Siri. Let... Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Siri took the warning. She heard it, let's hear it. In verse 11 is the heart of the chapter. He's saying, we need to strive. We need to strive. We need to make every effort to live in God's rest. And if not, we'll end up like that Exodus generation who didn't get to experience it, who didn't get to taste it. We'll miss out on the peace 
on the joy, on the satisfaction that God wants us to have. I wanna share with you briefly a little bit, a snapshot from one of the generations that, that, that really got this and moved towards it, and that was the Joshua generation. In order to enter into the promised land that the Exodus generation was not able, in, able enter into, they had to take a step of faith. The first thing that God asked them to do was to cross the Jordan River. And if you've ever seen pictures of the Jordan River today or been to the Jordan River, it's just a trickle of a stream. It's like the Rio Grande here in Laredo. But back then, historically, we know it was a raging river. And interestingly enough, only God will write his story, right? That place where they had to cross was the lowest place on planet earth. It is the lowest land on planet earth. And so they had to trust, take a step of faith as God parted these waters and walk through the, the lowest place on earth that these waters would not come and engulf them. And then after that step of faith, they had to totally dedicate themselves to God because as soon as they crossed, the thing that God asked them to do was for all the men to be circumcised. Now they were just in eyes view beneath at a, at a vulnerable position to the land of Jericho, the city and the nation of Jericho, they were gonna try and conquer. And you cannot fight a battle, we won't get into that, but if you've just been circumcised, you're not gonna go and fight a battle. And so they had to trust God that, okay, Lord, you want us to do this right now, right outside of our enemy's gates, but we'll do it, Lord. They had to totally lean into his strength. And then they had to take dependent action, not by their own strength. How did they defeat their enemies? He asked them to march around the gates seven days. And on the last day, uh, another six times to march around the enemy's gates. And the, the walls came tumbling down on the last round when they blew the trumpets. So they didn't win the battle even by their own strength. They won it by the Lord's. That's what it means to strive. It's, it's not a works-based performance that we obey. It's based upon dependently trusting in God. James 2.26 says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Our good works, do, they're not the source of our faith, they complete our faith. Ephesians 2, eight through 10, which we, we say every Sunday here at church, verse eight, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, our works are the fruit of our salvation, not that which what we're saved by. And how this all fits together is that when God called us out as his child, he knew that we'd have moments. He knew you'd have moments where you'd struggle, where you'd disobey. You might have some of those moments right now this week, but nothing makes you stop being his child. And his purpose and why he saved us is because he made you, church, he made you for his works to do wonderful, amazing things that I and you never thought that you could do. Speaking is hard for me. I never thought that he'd ask me to preach one day, but by faith, I'm getting up here and I'm doing the best I can to explain God's word to you. It's the same in, in so many ways, in so many areas of our life that God wants us to step out and just follow him into those waters like they pass through the raging river to just step out and trust him. And he's prepared these works for us. 
You know, recently I've been wondering, you know, does, does, if God saves me, does my obedience matter? Absolutely it matters because one day I'm gonna stand before him and give account of my life. And because I, wanna, I don't wanna look back and say I missed out on one moment even, I wanna give everything to God. And that's the warning here of this passage. And so he's saying here, strive, completely dedicate yourself to trusting in God, not in your own strength, not in the ways of this world, trust in God, prayer, the word, community, small groups, church. We need each other to trust in God. And then he goes on and he tells us about God's word. And he says, God's word discerns if we are trusting and it will judge everyone. Verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him of whom we must give account. You see, the word of God can tell the difference between what's soulish, what's mustered up by my natural man, and what's spiritual, what comes out of dependent faith in God. And one day, the Bible tells us we're all gonna stand before God and all of our works, all of our life is gonna be judged by that. Do we walk in our own flesh as Christians or did we remain walking in the spirit? You know, God's word is eventually gonna judge everything that we do and, and none of us can muster up our own sanctification. None of us can do that apart from God. God's the one that works out our growth in him, our works in him. But the idea that we would do nothing, it's what the passage is warning us against. Of course, we have to step towards him and actively depend upon him and trust in him. And so God's word is gonna reveal that one day and we're all gonna be standing as judged by what God's word told us, trying to walk towards it. And he wraps up with this. Where do you think he's gonna go? Jesus. He says, stand firm in God's rest through Jesus. Verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we have a high priest who is unable to, who is unable to sympathize, who is not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so we receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus is in a better position to give us grace because he's the son of God who's seen what heaven looks like. He's passed through heaven and come down to us. And he's been where we've been and he's sympathetic to the things that we go through. And he's merciful towards us. So church, I think we all experience this in small ways in our life. I was thinking about it with, with our marriages, with our friendships, with parenting. You know, we don't have any control on our spouse and our marriage. We don't have any control on our kids and parenting. We don't have any control of the people we work with in our work. But certainly with the opportunity to seek to be a faithful spouse, to seek to be a good parent, to seek to be a light in our workplace, to seek to be a light in this world. And, and I think we all know that when we step towards loving our spouse, we're actually trying, that's actually hard for us guys, but when we're actually being thoughtful and remembering and trying, I, I know as me as a husband, I see the blessings of it. And when I'm striving to be a good parent, I see the blessings of it. 
And this passage, what it's saying to us is that so much more than anything in your striving and you're trying right now as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a kid, as an employee, as an athlete, and anything that you're doing, look forward to the finished work one day when you stand before your maker. Don't get so caught up in the problems right now. Remember that God's already overcome all of those problems and look forward and don't turn back and don't give up. It's not worth it. And I know as I read this, it put a holy fear in me and a reverence to say, why do I quit so easily? Why do I give up so easily? Why do I take my eyes off of Christ? And so this week, church, let's step towards that. Imagine what we look like as the church, stepping towards that that day one day in Christ in heaven where everything has been worked out and there is no more brokenness. And we can stand with joy looking back on our life's work and saying, God, I did what you made me to do. Church, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for this message that you've given us in this whole book of Hebrews, that Jesus is better. And I thank you that in this time in my life, I know that I've needed to hear this. And our prayer as as your people, praying at home, praying here, Lord, is that you would help us to remember this entire week that you are better, Lord. That we would lean into you and that we would depend upon you with all of our hearts and joyfully through your strength do all that you've given us to do so that one day it'll be our delight to see your smile when you reward us for walking with you. We pray all these things as your church and everybody at Grace said, amen and amen. It's been great to be with you guys today, church.